This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. This is another mailbag episode. The first one was a hit. We're going to try to aim to do these every couple weeks here on the feed. So if you want your questions answered, like many of these listeners and readers are about to get their questions answered by our team of analysts, make sure you submit your questions on Apple Podcasts with a five-star review. We are about to have Greg Biggins on the show. He's a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. Greg will touch on some big storylines out West, as well as turn the clock back a little bit and talk to Sean Jackson, uh, DeAnthony Thomas, and some really cool stories from back in the day out in Los Angeles. We are also going to talk recruiting out in the Midwest with Alan True, and we will wrap things up in Florida with Andrew Ivins. To lead things off here on our latest episode of the Mailbag edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, we're bringing in Greg Biggins. He's more reliable than David Fletcher hitting atop the LA Angels lineup. That's, That's your guy, Greg Biggins. I mean, is it a stretch to say that David Fletcher is probably a top five player in baseball right now? I mean, is that, you know, we got Trout, we got Mookie, we got Bellinger, I mean, you shoot. got Yelich, and then you got yeah. David Fletcher. What a lot of SoCal representation there, Dave. You know, Yelich is a SoCal guy, and obviously Mookie Betts is a doyer now, Mike Trout with the Angels. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a West Coast homer, but uh, yeah, David Fletcher. Anthony Rendon compared him to Captain America. I was thinking more like Thanos because of how <laughs> dominant he is. Well, they're they're talking that he might be David Eckstein as well. Yeah, come on, David Eckstein, come on. That's like uh, I'm not trying to bag on. He was kind of like a Rudy to me as an Angel fan. You know, just that classic overachiever. Or as David Fletcher, man, he's uh, you know, he's not an overachiever. He's just you know Mickey Mantle playing. You know, just he's got those kind of skills. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he, he's he's off to a phenomenal start. And obviously, we're starting things off with a little baseball because why not, right? Baseball's back. I know you're a why huge not? baseball guy. You've been diving into some of these Angels games. We were talking off air about how we're just tuning into any midweek uh, daylight matinee game now because it's it's on TV and we've been starving for it for a while. But Greg, we are here on a college football recruiting podcast. We're going to talk uh, some of the questions that we've been getting. And, and we have a lot of really good ones for you. You're a big hit, not only on our Apple podcast review, but on the message boards. People want to know what's in the mind of Greg Biggins. And it it goes far beyond David Fletcher's exploits as the leadoff man for your LA Angels. Let's kick it off with two dogs from the Washington board over at dogman.com. And he asks, with high schools canceling or delaying football this fall, what does this do to the recruiting calendar? Does the NCAA move the early signing period or eliminate it altogether to accommodate prospects who won't play until the spring or may not have been evaluated in person yet? Or is it possible that if the early signing day date isn't changed, that we'll see a lot of prospects opt for traditional signing day in February? Is it possible that the NCAA moves back the traditional signing day 
Or do you see the NCAA allowing a couple of weekends for official visits during January or February, given the fact that the pandemic obviously is still existing? Or will there be any evaluations or official visits? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot to dissect there, Greg, and obviously a lot to take away. I think I've read novels that were shorter than that question. <laughs> you lost me about halfway through it. So um, I'll try to summarize uh, and you can jump in here. So was the original question basically asking, is there going to be a December signing period? Is that an easy way to summarize the first part of that question? Yeah, basically he, he's wondering if the signing day, if the early signing period will be eliminated or will it get pushed back or, or how will it affect recruiting and, and the calendar? So let's stop, stop right there. So I have not heard anything about that being pushed back. And in, in fact, most of the colleges that I've talked to, co- college coaches, they want, they still want that December signing period because there's a lot of guys that have already made their commitments, right? So if you already know what you want to do, just go ahead and let those guys decide and sign. That's, and that's what I would also do. And you know, you know my philosophy, I, I wanted that early signing period, not this year, obviously, but in future years. I like the idea of moving that original early signing period um, from December to August, September, you know, move it back to before the season starts like basketball, you know, they have an early one before the season and one after the season doesn't really make sense for me to have, you know, six weeks apart, December to February. So I have yet to hear anything um, about that December signing period being pushed back. And for me, I would keep it and allow those kids who commit to go ahead and sign if they want to. Um, what I would do, again, I have not heard anything from anybody, um, although I have talked to a few colleges who actually agree with this. I would move the February signing period back to maybe March, maybe April. And the reason why I would do that is because at least out here on the West Coast, uh, California, um, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, you can tell me about Arizona. I haven't heard, but they're moving their seasons back to January, February, even March. So what I would do is I would allow, you know, those kids to, to go out who don't want to sign yet because maybe they don't have the offer they want yet. Give those guys a chance to play out their senior season. Give those college coaches a chance to actually evaluate a senior season. So keep December and then let's move February back a couple months. And that's kind of a win-win, at least in my eyes, a win-win for everybody. And uh, I think there's probably a, a couple more questions in that question. What, what did that? What did I miss out of that question? No, I, I think you got it. I, I mean, I think the thing here is, is that recruits also want the early signing period, right? A lot of these players don't know what's going to happen to their own season. I know a lot of players have been committing, given the fact that they don't know whether whether or not they're going to be able to even play. They don't know if they're even going to be able to go visit schools. So I think the recruits, their families, their coaches, I think all those people also want an early signing period. And and when it comes to the colleges and the colleges and the coaches at the college level, they also want to have a really good understanding of what the recruiting class looks like heading into the new year. Uh, I do agree with you, though, that the February signing period would not make sense uh, in some states given the fact that high school football will be going on and 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 it doesn't it doesn't really add up with given the, the current structure given the current situation so um i think you hit it there i, I think you covered all the bases there the only one that, that maybe we can discuss a little bit further is well, whether or not the ncaa should make a couple weekends uh, available for official visits later on uh, obviously we don't even know when the recruiting dead period will be lifted but, yeah. you know, let's say it's open by the time next year rolls around, by the time high school football is back in some parts of the country early in 2021. Uh, should they allow official visits later on in February, March, April? You know, it all really kind of depends, right? 
I, I would I would say yes. As soon as we're, we get the, you know, the go ahead and everything, you know, again, I have no idea what the heck's going to happen with the whole hell thing and, and COVID and if we're going to even be uh, open even in 2021. But let's just say hypothetically we, we are and we get the green light. Again, I'm, I'm pro kid. I say let them take their official trips whenever they want. They missed their whole entire spring and summer and they're missing all their fall in terms of being able to go visit officially. So, yeah, the virtual tours were great. But as soon as we get the go-ahead, man, let them take as many official trips as they can. I mean, not when I say as many, that they're five, but yeah, open it up. Let, let it happen. As long, you know, as long as the college coaches are fine with that as well. So one thing I, I, I would like to add on is, you know, I think even more reason why I think kids want to sign is because they're choosing to early enroll in California, even without playing their senior year, right? We're seeing that kids that already were on track to early enroll. Now you're saying, Hey, well, you can't play your senior season if you want to early enroll they're saying okay i'm good with that i don't need to play my senior season we're seeing a ton of kids that are saying i'm going to still early enroll in january i'm going to skip playing my senior year of football so that kind of tells me right now it's more important for them to to sign early and get on campus they care about that more than anything else so uh, just kind of give more credence to why i think you know keeping that december signing period where it is just because that's what kids want anyway right yeah no i i agree 100 percent the next question comes from Super Trojan 5. It comes over from the Peristyle at uscfootball.com. And it's a, kind of a question that relates to that first one. Uh, Greg, in your experience and opinion of watching prospects over your career, what is the best indicator of college-level success when evaluating prospects? Is it performance in high school games, performance in camps, or in seven-on-seven events? And that's a great question. I would say it's definitely your performance with pads on. And, uh, you know, we evaluate everything, right? We do evaluate camps. We evaluate seven on seven. I've gone to basketball, volleyball games, track meets to evaluate kids in that setting. But there is no better indicator than actually how you do with the pads on. That's, that just makes sense, right? It's, it's two different sports. Seven on seven versus playing football pads on is two different sports. Now, I do think seven on seven gets a bad rap. People, you know, like to say, all oh, these guys in seven on seven, man, they can't play with pads on. From what I see, and you go to a typical seven-on-seven event, and the best guys in that event are typically going to be the best guys with pads on and vice versa. If you go kill it with pads on, typically you're going to go dominate in any type of environment, whether it be a camp setting, whether it be a seven-on-seven setting. So, um, But I, I, have, I would say by far high school production with pads on is the best, and there's no substitute for it. I do like the, the camp setting to measure athleticism, right? And you're able to kind of see fluidity. You're able to get some of these testing numbers. You're able yep. to see some competitiveness as well when, when players uh, are matching up against others and, and you kind of see some of the hunger that maybe you, you, you don't get to see when a, when a, when a helmet is on. Uh, I think there is a lot of value to it. Yeah, back, going to watch a lineman. I went and watched a, 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 a I remember, you know, you might, you might have been at UC, remember Matt Mosbar, who uh, was a, a tackle? played at San Inez and I never got to see him play. And they, he was actually had a volleyball game that was kind of near my house. I actually went to watch him play volleyball because I wanted to see his feet. I wanted to see his lateral mobility. I wanted to see his athleticism, how fluid was he. And playing middle blocker in volleyball, you actually can see a lot of athleticism, a lot of lateral mobility, a lot of explosiveness with the jumping. And so that was, I didn't get to see him play volleyball in person, uh, football, but I did see him play volleyball. And so, yeah, I, mean, I think it's all good. There's, there's, there's no... Uh, you know, e event where a guy's doing something athletic that I, I think you could sit back and say, yeah, I don't need to see that. Like, I want to see all of it. 
Yeah. How many times do we hear a recruit say that, you know, so-and-so coach came to my basketball game to see me play? Yeah. You know, they, they, these coaches take all of that into account. Uh, we're joined by Greg Biggins. He's a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Greg Biggins. The next question is, what was the biggest recruiting surprise you ever reported on? So, I mean, there's been so many that, but I mean, at the top of my head, I want to go with the Deshaun Jackson recruitment just because it's fresh in my head. And I kind of wrote about it not too long ago. But uh, for those who, who don't remember, uh, Deshaun Long Beach Poly kid. And this was in the Pete Carroll heyday where he was getting everybody he wanted. I mean, he wasn't recruiting. He was selecting. And I knew Deshaun and his family really well. And they had basically told me flat out, hey, you know, we committed to USC, you know, a few weeks ago. This was like November, December. I mean, he was basically a USC silent commit. And it's funny that I think that term silent commit kind of started in the Pete Carroll era. Because they, you know, Pete was one of those guys who was okay with kids taking trips and, and waiting for them to announce when they wanted to. So, but kids wanted to lock their spot in. So you started hearing, you know, that phrase, silent commitment. You never really heard it before until Pete Carroll. And Deshaun was the USC silent, wanted to wait until signing day. He committed uh, in the Fox Sports studio. I was in the Fox Sports studio. I was kind of a guest on that signing day show. And I'm sitting there next to his, you know, next to one of his family members. And he's up there on stage and he's getting ready to announce and I'm sitting there waiting for him to you know pull out a USC hat and all of a sudden he goes you know yada 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 gives the spiel and he goes I'm going to Cal pulls out you know a Cal hat his dad was there and pulled out all these really sweet authentic Cal jerseys that said Jackson on it and I was stunned I my mouth was agape if I can use that word which I don't think I've ever used that word before agape I'll, I'll allow it I'll allow it I mean literally they had not told me at all. I would have, my crystal ball would have been wrong if they had if those had existed back then. And everybody was stunned because again, you know, he was a USC commit, and then he decided to flip. And you know, they asked him, "Hey, when did you decide on Cal?" And he said, "Oh, this morning." And I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, those Cal jerseys are really nice with the Jackson on the on the back of it already." So you must have made those really quickly or you're kind of, you're kind of fibbing a little bit and you had those Cal judges made before this morning and you're already knowing you're going to Cal. So obviously it worked out well for Deshaun, um, went to Cal three and out first round pick. That was the plan. It worked out well for USC. They kept rolling and, and, uh, you know, still brought in a great receiver class that year. But yeah, that was the, off the top of my head, that was one of the bigger recruiting surprises I can remember. You never know what Deshaun Jackson's going to do, even when he has the football uh, tucked away and uh, he's approaching the goal line and, and you just don't know <laughs> if he's if he's actually going to cross that goal line with the ball. I mean, he's just so unpredictable. Uh, are, you, are you referring to the somersault from the All-American? And and he did it in the NFL as well. Um, yeah, he's he's uh, never learned his lesson, but obviously he's yeah. been one the most electric players in the NFL for I love that kid, man. A great time. story. If I'm saying, if I'm keeping it real with him, my first interaction with him was as a freshman. Uh, we kind of got into it a little bit, Blair. We did a, uh, we did my student sports days. We did a Nike tournament on Long Beach Vet, which is where Long Beach Poly played, but we didn't have Long Beach Poly in the tournament. They were kind of a little bit down. And so their coach at that time, I uh, thought it'd be fun to bring all the players over to watch and kind of like a, Hey, in your face, we're still here and you should have invited us deal. And afterwards, um, you know, all the players that participated got a little, little bag with some stuff in it from Nike. And I saw Deshaun walking around with one. I had no idea who the kid was, but I knew he wasn't, you know, a participant because he's wearing a Long Beach Poly. I go, Hey man, you need to give that bag back. He goes, this is my bag. I go, dude, that's not your bag. You go to Poly. You guys weren't in the tournament. Give the bag, give the bag back. And, uh, he goes, my, my, my brother gave it to me. 
And I'm like, who's your brother? Long, long story short, his brother was actually not his real brother, but basically he was because he called him family. But he was in the tournament. And Derek Jones, who was actually Paulie's big receiver at that time, um, brought Deshaun over to me and said, hey, you know, I just had to talk with Deshaun. Uh, I told him who you are. He needs to get to know you. You need to get to know him. He's going to be a big time player. So we kind of hugged it out. At that time, I'm thinking, God, who's this freshman kid who's kind of you know, <laughs> healthy, right? But Derek Jones was, you know, really cool. Brought him over and, and kind of basically explained to Deshaun that he thought maybe he shouldn't ruffle feathers. He thought I was important, which I, you know, I'm not that important, but he thought I was. And he said, hey, Deshaun, he's going to be a special player. So we hugged it out and we, like, I became tight with him and the whole family. But my first interaction, I thought, man, this little stinking kid. But uh, he ended up having a great Long Beach Poly career as well. And I've always been rooting for him ever since. He was also a big time baseball player, right? Dude. So we actually did an event when he was a senior and it was three events in one and people asked, what was the most athletic uh, event that you ever had? Or what, what was the most spectacular performance you've ever had at an event? And I'll say this, it was Deshaun doing three events in one day. So we did that same Nike tournament. So this time Long Beach Poly was in it. So there was that. And then you're probably familiar. You're a big baseball guy. I remember the area code baseball games. So they had, area code baseball tryouts right there on the USC campus. And then later on that night, we did a fastest man in LA conference, fastest man in LA competition. Um, Ludacris sang at it. It was sweet. So Deshaun was MVP at the seven on seven. He killed it at the area code baseball tryout and got selected. And then he finished second in the fastest man competition. I forgot who was first, but it was a track guy who ended up going to USC for track. So he ended up doing three events on the USC campus on the same day and was dominant in all three of them. And, and to me, man, that, that's why he's always going to be a very special athlete for me. And you were off on the, on the sideline with your arms crossed, wondering why that kid was stealing bags uh, a couple, a couple of years ago. Honestly, so I've seen him occasionally and we always bring it back. Okay. Hey, <laughs> he still remembers. And so do I. And yeah, we have fun with it. That's great. So from one LA legend, Deshaun Jackson, to another one, the next question is, can you please tell the story of what happened with the Anthony Thomas and Oregon? Yeah. So I actually wrote about this and every year around signing day, I think Kevin Wade from our Oregon site likes to kind of bring that up. Um, but yeah, so DAT again, you know, legendary, right? He'd be, he'd be Mount Rushmore. If you're talking about Southern California athletes, LA city, Crenshaw's finest. And he was a early, early commit to USC committed, you know, well before, you know, summer, maybe even like in the spring and, uh, to kind of speed ahead, uh, he switched over to Oregon like the night before signing day and, and signed with Oregon. And everyone thought, what the heck happened with DeAnthony Thomas? I thought he was locked in for USC and how did he just the night before he switched what happened? So the story itself was this, he actually, and Oregon was extremely strategic. Don Pelham was his lead recruiter, who's now the linebacker coach at UCLA. But DP uh, was his lead recruiter at, at Oregon. They were recruiting him as an offensive player, which is what he wanted to do. USC was recruiting him as a corner, which is where I personally wanted him to play in college. And so that played a part of it. But Oregon was actually the team to beat probably around October, November. So this wasn't an, an overnight switch. But what Oregon did was they knew – that if word got out, word kind of leaked out that he was maybe leaned toward Oregon, um, USC would, would be all over him. And that was, again, this was the USC staff that had Pete Carroll, Ed Orgeron, Lane, Sark. I mean, they had a relentless recruiting staff. Plus, you know, he was really tight with Snoop. And Snoop was obviously a big SC guy, too. So what they did, they waited until the weekend before the dead period. 
He took his official visit to Oregon that weekend. And then after that weekend, it was a dead period. No more trips. They can't come to you. You can't go to them. And again, that was all strategic. They didn't want USC to have a chance to get in there. So DAT, he was already leaned on Oregon months before, but he never took a visit. He never mentioned Oregon. He never said anything about Oregon, never wore any Oregon gear. It was all hush-hush between that Oregon staff and DeAnthony. And by the time he kind of had a chance to visit Oregon and he flipped to Oregon, it was, it was stunning to everyone because they had no clue that Oregon had been involved for months before. But that was the reality. Oregon was already kind of the silent leader. And then he flipped a couple of nights before signing day before USC can get in there and, and flip him back. So uh, part of it was great strategic by Oregon. And also uh, he wanted to play, you know, running back slash slot receiver. And uh, USC wanted him for corner. And uh, so, yeah, that's the, that's the DeAnthony story. There are silent commitments and then there's incognito commitments, right? Where they kind of go underneath and, and, and there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in, in the shadows. I think that's what qualifies as an incognito commitment. You know, at that time, Oregon was known as being a great group of evaluators, but they didn't have the same kind of juice they do now where they can go. They don't care if, you know, if the world knows the kids leading there. But back then, Oregon actually, you know, didn't have a whole lot of, you know, recruiting cachet, but they were really well thought of as evaluators. So I could, there was a several recruits that actually uh, were either early Oregon commits or leans that other schools were able to flip because again, uh, they valued Oregon. They saw them. Oh, this guy is going to Oregon. Okay. He must be good. We're Let's go ahead and recruit him heavily. That was when, you know, SC and UCLA could go in and basically take whoever they wanted from Southern California and in Oregon just start. So Oregon kind of started to not uh, have their commits go public. They didn't want anyone to know that they had some public commits because they were afraid that other schools might come and, and flip them. And uh, so with DAT, uh, again, they, they worked it perfectly. We've got a question from NJ Trojan. He wants to know, Ethan Calvert, is it USC or UCLA? Honestly, so my, my crystal ball is, is still with USC. You know, my dark horse is Utah. I think Washington's probably fading a little bit. But Utah is a school that I would kind of keep as a dark horse because, you know, why hasn't he committed yet? And, and that's the thing. And, you know, I, from my experience, I'm sure with yours, when you see a player that's leading to a school – for a while, but can't pull the trigger. You always kind of wonder, okay, is there something holding him back? And so, you know, I felt like USC was the leader. That was the last trip he took. He's friends with a lot of the guys that are going to USC, a lot of the commits. And I think he's got a great relationship with the coaches, Michael Hutchins and, and Todd Orlando, Clay Helton. But hasn't pulled the trigger yet. And I know part of that is because he really wants to visit Utah. And he, he's told me that last week when we talked. He goes, you know what? Um, I know we can't take trips, but I have family in Utah. Maybe I'll go do one of those dead period visits where you can go and visit without actually talking to the coaches and going to see the facilities. So I wouldn't rule out Utah. I think UCLA is still pushing hard. I already kind of mentioned, you know, Don Pelham with DAT. Uh, DP is also the lead recruiter for Calvert. His brother Bo is at UCLA. He's a captain. He's doing well. He likes it there. So UCLA is still the running butt. Uh, gun to my head. I'm still going with USC, but I, I do think it's interesting that he hasn't pulled the trigger just yet. Uh, the next question comes from Hi025, and this was from Apple Podcast Review. So thank you so much for leaving that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. He wants to know, um, what are your early thoughts on ASU's new defensive backs coach, Chris Hawkins? Will he be able to flip Devin Kirkwood from UCLA and or land Isaiah Johnson? Will his ties to ground zero help with 2022 prospects? 
so obviously, um, Chris Hawkins, that's my, that's my guy. I'm very happy for him. He's a guy I've known since he was a freshman in high school and, and watched him grow up ranch Cucamonga to USC. And now he's coaching and he's a future star for sure. And he's already making some, some big moves as a coach. And I'm, like I said, I'm, he's a guy that you can kind of say I'm, you're proud to see. And you absolutely. Knew- I, I covered him in high school as well. And, and you, I mean, I remember the, the recruiting battle for him was USC Stanford, right? So he, he was trying to decide between those two. He obviously opted to stay closer to home and play for the Trojans. He was a reliable player there for, for USC. And, and I think you always saw that he had the potential to be a, a big-time coach if he ever wanted to because he's so studious. He's so uh, alert and, and, and recognizing things when he sees them. Even when he was doing the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit, when he was out in camps, he was so uh, wise, I think, beyond his age and so mature that you, you could see him really refining things on the field. Uh, and then you mix in his personality, right? And, and just his ability to relate to players. I think he's going to be a big-time recruiter. I mean, and no offense to Chris, but he wasn't the most naturally gifted. He wasn't Jalen Ramsey, right? Last time I talked to Chris, we, we brought up Jalen because I think you took a picture. Same of- class. Him yeah. him and Sua Cravens. Uh, I was were, the same too. Yeah, yeah, oh, Craven, right. yeah, Sua Cravens was playing at Vista Marietta at the time. And they were playing Rancho Cucamonga in the CIF playoffs where, you know, Chris, Chris Hawkins, they had Tahan Goodman, a couple yeah. other guys as well. And Jalen Ramsey was, was already out of his season out in Tennessee. He was currently committed to USC at the time. So he came out, stayed at Chris Hawkins' house, actually, out in the Inland Empire. And uh, they were really close, really tight. They were committed all together. And, and Jalen was out at that game to, to see both of his potential future teammates. Obviously, he ends up flipping to, to Florida State, uh, you know, at the last moment. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a, a really tight-knit group. Uh, point, point being, again, no disrespect to Chris because he knows I love him, but he's not Jalen Ramsey in terms of physical gifts, right? Jalen was a freak. You, you don't like use that, that. I think the word freaks used way too often, but Jalen was a freak, genetic freak, j- just running, jumping. He was off the charts. Chris was that guy who was just so smart. I mean, you hit on the head. You can watch him play and say he'll be a coach someday. And I even told his dad, you know, Armand, who's a you know, friend of ours too, I go, Chris is going to be a great coach someday when he's done playing. And I, I, and I think he's still going to be a great coach, but he's got, that, he's got that great personality. He relates really well to kids. And, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think he's going to pay, you know, huge dividends. I think he already has. They've got a couple DBs locked in. Uh, he's working Kirkwood hard, man. He, he really is. And Kirkwood is a ground zero guy. UCLA right now, he's committed there, but UCLA is going to have to really battle to keep him. And honestly, Isaiah Johnson, I actually think you uh, ASU might be the leader right now. And I, I think Isaiah might be a guy who, who could commit August, maybe September. I, I've heard some, some talk about him being an early guy. And I, right now, I think ASU is pushing the hardest. Uh, Chris has a great relationship with the kid. And th- that kid is Johnson is really, really good, man. He Physical traits off the charts. So I know we went on, on, on a tangent there talking about Chris in high school. So I don't know if we answered the question, but uh, maybe on Kirkwood, great chance on Johnson. And I do think Chris Hawkins is going to do great things at ASU. And I do think ground zero, again, for those not sure about the connection, Chris's dad, Armand Hawkins, owns and runs ground zero, which is one of the top seven-on-seven training programs in Southern California. And obviously, uh, if you play for ground zero, you're going to probably hear a little bit about ASU maybe once or twice or 3,000 times as a high school kid. And uh, so I think that is a a connection that ASU definitely can thrive with. 
Yeah, and and obviously when you when you think Ground Zero and you think 2022, you automatically think of Damani Damani Jackson, who's one of the top defensive backs in the country. Uh, so that one will be obviously one to, to monitor as well. He's getting national attention. The next question comes from Kyle from Phoenix. This one's also on Apple Podcast Reviews. Uh, he he says, it's a great source of recruiting information. I love the pod. I'm glad I found the one podcast where I can get all the recruiting information I need. So thank you for that comment, Kyle. His question is, why is ASU seemingly not having any success in SoCal this year? Last year, they were able to pull seven four-stars out of the state. But as of now, they do not have any committed and they, they do not seem to have any uh, good odds to get anyone besides Sierra Wright. Uh, was last year a one-hit wonder at ASU or can they find a way to turn it around for the next six months? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't think it's a great year for SoCal talent, for one. And you want to get – the goal is not to get – and I've even even said this about USC, you know, Oregon, take back the West. For me, the goal is to get the best players. I don't care if they're from Southern California or from Montana, where I was born. Billings, Montana, to be exact, Blair. I don't know if you knew that little fun fact. I thought you were a Hawaiian. I am. My mom was born there and I, she's one of nine kids, but I was actually born in Montana. My dad wow. was born in Montana. My mom was from Hawaii. So, uh, isn't yeah. Phil Jackson from Montana as well? Probably. I mean, why wouldn't he be right? Everyone that know, explains why he's the goat. They want to come out of Montana. Um, but I think ASU looking at their class right now, they're getting dudes and, and they just got Austin Berry, which I think was a huge get. He was an early UCLA lane. He was coveted by Cal in Utah and ASU rallied, and they were able to get him. Robert Reagan was an early Wisconsin lead. Uh, Boise State coveted him. Boise State's one of my favorite schools in terms of how they evaluate. Uh, able to get some, you know, Finn Collins, who's now at Alamany. So I think they're doing some damage in Southern California. But you, you look outside the region and look at what they're doing. You know, I, I strong O-line class. Eric Gentry is a stud. He can, he can absolutely go. Junior Alexander was high on their list. I love Tommy Hill. Uh, Isaiah Johnson, do we call him a SoCal kid? He's a top 200 player, uh, not originally from here, but if you want to say, hey, SoCal, he's playing at St. Bernard's now. So, no, I, I don't think it's a one-year wonder at all. I think ASU has a, a, a ton of coaches who are passionate, and not just Antonio Pierce, Prentice Gill, already already talked about you know Chris Hawkins, uh, Kevin Mawai, the O-line coach in, in waiting. Uh, Herm Edwards, obviously, has great name recognition out here and pushing hard for kids. So, no, I, I think ASU is definitely going to try to make SoCal a second home or maybe even a first home, right? Because you know more than every, everybody, whatever reason, those top Arizona kids don't want to stay home. So maybe ASU, you know, they want Southern California to, to kind of be their, their home where they go and, and get kids. So I, I wouldn't stress or worry about this year because, again, I don't think it's a, a great year for SoCal talent. Go get the best players. Not, I don't care where they're from. That, that's my motto. Every team in the Pac-12 had an in-state commitment except ASU, and, and ASU was able to get Isaiah Glass, a three-star offensive tackle from Queen Creek, Arizona, um, a, a couple weeks ago. So obviously they, they are now also in that club with an in-state commitment uh, among the Pac-12 programs. But you touched on it. They have commitments from all over the country. They've got a commitment in Florida. They've got a commitment in Virginia, North Carolina, Minnesota, uh, Louisiana, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I mean, they were very methodical the first cycle under Herm Edwards to really target the, the state of California and to really make a dent in, in Southern California. Uh, now we're seeing them try to extend their reach nationally. And I think it's very 
concentrated. It's an effort that I think is, is very uh, intended, right? They want to be, a, 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 they want to have a footprint nationally. So um, I'm not going to sleep on them moving forward in the state of California, especially with a guy like Jaden Daniels being a big time billboard for them in the state of California. And, and it's going to be obviously interesting to see what they do on the field and, and whether or not they can then parlay that with recruiting uh, and having more success in, in Southern California and the Inland Empire and with some of these prospects at Ground Zero and, and so on and so on. So, yeah, that'll, that'll do it for Greg Biggins. Greg, how you doing? Are you, are you, have you caught your breath yet? I am out of breath, but you just you just took a you know a nice little one to two minute uh, monologue that was very well spoken and uh, it was from the heart and I appreciated what you said <laughs> <laughs> and I have my breath back so I'm good. All right, well I, you learn something new every day. Obviously, you hear the stories about Deshaun Jackson uh, from from you know obviously getting the insight on on DeAnthony Thomas. I didn't know that you were from Montana, so that was okay. great. Uh, we had a lot of a lot of fun, and I can't wait to have you on this mailbag edition of the twenty four seven Sports Football Podcast. Anytime, Blair. Keep killing it. This is the number one podcast in the world. Watch out, Joe Rogan, because Blair Angulo was coming for you. You're doing a great job, man. It's always always good catching up with you. All right, that's Greg Biggins. We'll be right back with Alan True and Andrew Ivins to continue our mailbag episode here on the twenty four seven Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. And we are back here on the 24 7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, a special edition, a mailbag episode. We're going to try to aim to do these twice a month. And the next guest, the next analyst on the 24-7 Sports Network is Alan True. He covers Midwest recruiting. Uh, he was on our episode earlier this week. We broke down everything that was happening out in the Midwest in Big Ten country. And now he's here to answer your questions. Alan, how are you doing? Hey, doing well. Happy to be on again so soon. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the mailbag, right? So we had to get you on the debut uh, and get you get you some more shine. People love the, the episode earlier this week, so you're... You know, glad to, to have you back. And uh, I know we've already started to, to, to wonder what's, what's happening with your son. Give us a quick update over the last three days what's happened with his beatboxing. <laughs> he continues to, to watch tutorials and figure it out. So he's adding some more sounds uh, to his repertoire. So he's got the, he now knows the difference between a closed hi-hat and an open hi-hat. So we're, we're working on that. I actually played the drums growing up so i've been able to help him with that so it keeps progressing I, I appreciate all the positive comments and feedback wow by the end of the summer i mean we might be dealing with a phenomenon here <laughs> we're trying to hold his ego back a little bit he found out that, <laughs> that uh <laughs> he had been put on twitter and all that and so now he's now, now we're trying to control that yeah and now he's a hit on the 24 7 sports football recruiting podcast and our listeners obviously tracking his progress the first question Alan comes from Jim Harbaugh's jeans. 
over on the Michigan Insider, our message board over at the Michigan side at 24-7 Sports. And his question is, are there any states where you feel like the talent is getting consistently better every year or vice versa? Yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, to answer his question, Michigan would starting off would be one. I, I think I've noticed that a lot in the years that I've covered the state. And, and you've seen it a little bit more with the NFL draft results. Seem to be a few more guys from Michigan getting drafted every year. This past year, uh, I think, had tied the highest number of players from Michigan drafted in the last 20 years or something like that. So a lot of that has to do with training systems that have been put into place. Kids have more opportunities to do that. There's multiple big organizations doing that, doing bus tours, getting kids out there, seven-on-seven programs. I think that's all helping um, the cultivate the talent in the state of Michigan. Likewise, that Kansas city area right now is experiencing a little bit of that. Um, a couple former college players, Sammy Parker, who played at Oregon, Michael Rose Ivy that played at Nebraska there. That area has always had talent and good athletes. I don't know that it always got developed or put out there to the world as well. And now Kansas city's doing that. We saw that happen in St. Louis several years back. And I think it's this, what's happening in Kansas city is parallel to that. Um, and then up in Wisconsin, I think they're starting to get the respect that they deserve on, on more of a regional and national scene. Uh, Wisconsin was able to kind of pick that over. You saw Wisconsin turn a number of walk-ons into really good players. I think those types of kids are less under the radar now. Um, as evidence, if you look at our top two, four, seven for the 22 quest, I think we got six kids from Wisconsin in there, a couple others that could have been in there. And so that that's a state that's starting to rise a little bit. It's always going to be tough for other schools to come in and beat Wisconsin, but uh, they're, they're trying more now. And I think us as a, a scouting entity uh, is doing a better job of looking into those kids up there as well. I'm going to hop on this one as well, uh, because I, I don't just want to be the guy asking the questions, right? I want to answer some as well. I think specifically in, in my region, I cover the Mountain West. And and the the island would which would be Hawaii, but Arizona has seen a, a boon, obviously, in, in talent as well. I think it's also due to the fact that there's the growing population in, in the Phoenix metro area. A lot of people from LA, a lot of people from from across the West Coast, uh, the San Diego area. You know, the, with the prices in in rent and 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 mortgages and and all that rising in, in the state of California, it's made a lot of people move out to to places like Phoenix move out to places like Las Vegas. And we've seen even more and more recruits. I think this last 2020 cycle in the state of Arizona was the the most players that were rated three stars or above. I think we had over 70, which is pretty remarkable given the fact that, you know, just a few years ago, it, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, I mean, it'd be pretty surprising to even see 20, um, get, get that, get that many. And, and obviously Michigan being one of those schools that's going into the state of Arizona, they have a commitment from Quentin Somerville. Um, so that's a state to, to monitor. I know a lot of big 10 schools are going out there. Ohio state had some success recruiting Arizona. Texas has been getting some, some, uh, some success out in Arizona as well. So that's a state that is getting more and more recruits. The next question, Alan comes from, Wolverine Keith on the Michigan Insider as well. He asks, do you think that rankings and ratings will be as accurate this year as there are no camps to compare kids in person? Or do you think that the additional time to watch tape, something I've heard Barton Simmons talk about on the podcast, will make the evaluations deeper this year? And 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 kind of a, a similar question there. I'm going to kind of tag this one on as well. It comes from John's Jeans Jeans over at, at Swamp 24-7. 
the Florida site. He says, how aggressive are you going to be re-ranking players with such limited info from camps? What's going to be your primary, primary source of making adjustments? So I, you know, I, I think first we have been aggressive and we want to continue to be aggressive. We could have sat on our hands for this entire pandemic and just said, Hey, there's not, you know, there's not camps going on. There's not football going on. And when there are camps, a lot of us aren't going to them. Let's just not make any changes, but we haven't done that. And, and I have appreciated that approach. So if I just think about my own region and even nationally, when we have our rankings calls every week, I feel like I know more about these kids on an individual individual basis than ever before. I think you you do lack some of the in-person evaluation, but people also have to remember that when all of these events are going, it's a real rat race for us in the spring and the summer, traveling to all these camps and seven on sevens, writing stories from it. Um, Just the time spent on the road. All of that time has been repurposed into us researching these kids more. So I think that we've dug into their backgrounds. We've been able to still supplement with any kind of testing numbers that they put up in their training facilities or some of the camps that are still going on. We've been able to watch some of that footage. And I think that our staff has done a really good job of utilizing the time and utilizing the resources that have been afforded to us to see these kids, much in the way college coaches have still evaluated these guys for offers through those methods. So I actually think that it will. I I think we're going to either be more accurate or just as accurate. And then we're going to take a lot of what we've learned during during this year and apply it to the following years when we're able to get back on the road and have more normal years. I think we're still going to use a lot of the same approaches that we used this year and hopefully, you know, understand that the extra time that we were afforded this year allowed us to dig deeper into their backgrounds and, and, and kind of find out some things that, um, maybe we wouldn't have otherwise if we had seen these kids at camps and sort of just sat on those camp evaluations. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that, that I miss from the evaluation process is the fact that we used to be able to see some junior tape and then you'd go out to a camp and then you'd be able to either validate or to say, Oh, you know, I thought, I thought this kid wasn't as athletic as he is or on tape, he looks slow and and he's actually pretty quick. Or, you know, there, there are things that you could look at during the camp season and, and during those seven on seven, you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, well, that doesn't matter. Right. The offers aren't real. The, the kid's getting it from a seven on seven camp, from a passing tournament, from a, from a combine. Uh, but, but I think it always validated things a little bit more, uh, you know, to your point, I, I do like the fact that now we are diving a little bit deeper into the film. And when I think from a ranking standpoint, it's it's very helpful because now we're able to shuffle and move players around where we see them fitting based on their film. Uh, from a rating standpoint, I think that's where, you know, hopefully we can continue to make strides. And and, and like I said um, earlier with with the evaluations, we're able to see some of the the, the film from from some camps or from some workouts or, or get some measurements or, or taste testing data from uh, other events, I think it has been a helpful tool as well. And let me say, let me say this too, before you get to the next question, I, I think we've cross-checked each other more than ever yeah. before. Yeah, also. 100%. It's, it's been a collaborative effort. And, and, and to your point earlier about how you know so many more names from a national standpoint now than you ever did before. I, 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 you know, I'm in the same boat as you because 
now I'm aware of the defensive end out in Florida, right? Or, or the linebacker in the state of Ohio or the quarterback from Pennsylvania. Like they, these are all things that I, I think now have allowed us to bring a collective brain into the whole process. Yeah. So I've more than ever, what we've had, you know, we've split up positions and we've gone down the list and we've gone deeper into those positions. We've watched well into the three stars as a national staff, which usually, you know, I, I wouldn't have Charles power and those guys watching 82s in the state of Michigan, but that's happening this year. And I've had more guys like Huff and others go through the positions to say, Hey, Alan, you know, there's a kid in your region that we think is a little better. There's a kid in your region that we think needs to go down. You know, if this kid was in California, this is this is where we think he would be ranked. And I've been able to do that for them, too. So I think that's also been helpful is to be able to cross compare regions. Yeah, 100 percent. Alan, before we let you go, the last question from comes from uh, an Apple podcast review from Bryce N.A. He asks, is Donovan Edwards a heavy Michigan lean right now? I don't know if I can say heavy, but I, I do feel better about my Michigan crystal ball pick every day. I feel better and better about it. And I, I do think that um, his decision may be hinging a little bit on whether or not Michigan is going to play football. Um, if, if we do, are going to have a season that's normal, I could see him maybe speeding up and wanting to make a, a choice before his senior year starts. It also could be affected by whether or not he's allowed to take official visits. If, if official visits continue to be delayed, um, then I don't know that he's going to wait too long to see when he's able to get, you know, get on a plane and see, see some of these other schools. I do think that works towards Michigan's advantage, but I do also think more than just distance and location, Michigan staff has done a really good job with them in the virtual sense on, on the Zoom meetings over the last few months. So I still think there's some other schools hanging around in this one, but I, I do think he is a Michigan lean. I'm not sure I can say heavy yet, but I start to feel a, a little better about my pick every, every time I hear something new on Donovan. Donovan Edwards would be a huge pickup for the Wolverines. He's a top 40 prospect nationally in the composite, the number three running back in the country, the number two overall player in the state of Michigan, according to the composite. So Alan True joined us here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast Mailbag. If you have any questions for Alan, make sure you submit them via Apple Podcast Review with a five-star review and, and ask him anything, you know, whether it comes to Big Ten recruiting, Midwest recruits, uh, national stuff, beatboxing, anything, Alan, right? Regular boxing, too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you are that. a regular boxing guy. I forget all the time. Yeah, so um, any, anything that involves boxing now, I guess we're into it in our house. All right, that's Alan True. Thank you so much. We're continuing to work our way left to right. We started out west with Greg Biggins. We worked our way to the Midwest with Alan True. Now we're going to the East Coast, the Southeast specifically, to join Andrew Ivins. He covers recruiting in the state of Florida. He's also a, a co-host of the Miami Through the Smoke podcast, which is a big hit here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm not dealing with uh, earthquakes like you over uh, on the West Coast. Yeah, we're recording this for, for those people that, that are listening. We're recording this early on, on a Thursday, uh, obviously the, the same day that this gets published. And uh, it, it wasn't fun. It was, we're not dealing with, with uh, hurricanes. Obviously, that's what you deal with. On, yeah, there's, on, 
there's one coming right now. I know, too. <laughs> I know. And, and so, but at least you know that those are coming, right? At, at least you see those, or at least you get a forecast for those. There's no forecast for earthquakes, my guy. So <laughs> we, we get those at four in the morning out here. We get them at, uh, you know, it could be nine o'clock at night. Uh, it just, you just never know. And, and the, the crazy thing too, is that it's just been such a long time since we've had, we've had a big one that anytime you feel any sort of movement, you're like, Oh no, this is the big one, right? Like this is the one that you, you see on the, on, in the disaster movie yeah. or, or it, it's all, it's not good. It's not, it's not good. <laughs> So we've got a lot of we got we got some questions for you here on our mailbag episode. Uh, let me throw you the the first one. It, it comes from Gunner nine five five, and this came through Apple Podcasts. So Gunner, thank you for the five star Apple Podcast review. His question is: Can you break down where five star cornerback Jason Marshall stands in his recruitment? Well, this is kind of like the recruitment um, that everyone's asking about. Uh, you know, Jason has all the offers he's obviously a five-star corner at, at Miami Palmetto um, you know the folks in the state of Florida they'll tell you that uh, Palmetto is about as low as it as any school has been maybe since the the group from American Heritage a couple of years back with uh, Pat Sertain and Tyson Campbell and Nesta Silvera and Andrew Chatfield so now there's the Palmetto five and that's Leonard Taylor um, Jason Marshall Corey Collier uh, Savion Collins um, and Brashard Smith. So there's five kids at, at, at one school out down in the 305. And Jason is probably um, maybe the best of the bunch. I would say it's him and, and Leonard Taylor. So he's got options. And for a while, it looked like Florida was going to be the likely landing spot. I, I mean, my crystal ball has been on there for a long time. And he spent more time in Gainesville than, than really anywhere else. But as this recruitment has progressed I think one team I keep hearing come up in conversations with the people I talk with and that's Alabama I think um, when Jason was offered by the Crimson Tide last summer he said right away that it was a monster deal for him to just get offered by Nick Saban I mean Nick Saban produces DB so um, he he had a top three now he's got a top five uh, Miami entered that top five and we, we all know how well or if you follow college football recruiting, you're kind of aware of what Miami's been able to do um, during this quarantine and shutdown. Like they're getting a ton of guys in the South Florida area. So I think Miami's in there. I think Florida's in there. But um, if there's anyone who I think, you know, if, if I mean, I haven't moved my crystal ball yet, but I'm leaning towards kind of shifting it over to Alabama just because I think when Nick Saban kind of sinks his teeth in a guy, um, he's got a pretty good track record of getting it. So I don't think any decisions made. Those are probably the three teams that are in it. I know LSU uh, is in there as well, but I, I would expect him you know, to pick one out of one of those three. And he actually teased August 1st as a potential commitment date, or, or he tweeted out August 1st, and then I asked him if that was a commitment date, and it was, it was, it was quickly deleted. So who knows? Something could happen on, on August 1st this weekend. It was your question. Your question kind of got him a little rattled, I think. <laughs> uh, Alabama, obviously, you know, it speaks for itself what they're able to do on the field, what they're able to do in recruiting. Um, but now they have ramped things up. I think they have seven commitments this month of July and they've shot up the charts and, and it seemed to be giving uh, Ohio State quite a run for, for their money now as the number one class. I, I don't know if they're going to catch Ohio State, but I know obviously a player like Jason Marshall would, would help them uh, in that race. 
the next question also from Gunner555. Uh, his question is uh, about Miami's quarterback recruiting in 2021. He says they targeted many blue chip QBs, but couldn't land a single one. Who are the remaining targets the Canes are going after in the 2021 cycle? Well, I mentioned how my, like this quarantine and nationwide shutdown has helped Miami locally on the recruiting trail. I mean, they've shot up into the top 10 of the rankings. Well, where this whole coronavirus and uh, lack of visits has really hurt them is with quarterback recruiting. Um, they changed offensive coordinators this offseason, going from Danny Enos to Rhett Lashley, really going from a West Coast, more traditional set to a wide open spread attack tempo. And uh, that's a change that everyone thinks they needed to make. But uh, when you do that, you kind of hit reset on the recruiting board for quarterbacks. And, you know, arms come off the board or are committed super fast. I mean, you have college staffs making evaluations and decisions about a kid after their sophomore season. Um, and and it, a lot of times, like most of these kids are, are late developers uh, in that quarterback process. So it's if you take a step back and just kind of see how the dominoes fall, it seems like there's a, a wave of kids that'll commit early on. Um, then they'll play their junior seasons and, and there's some shuffling and then there'll be some flips and then everyone uh, kind of figures it out. Well, Miami, um, they're at a disadvantage. Like Rhett Lashley was recruiting quarterbacks to SMU, but he wasn't recruiting them to the University of Miami. And with there being a dead period in place, he hasn't been able to get anyone on campus. So all his recruiting he's doing is via Zoom, via FaceTime. So uh, that's that's kind of hurt them. Now there are some arms in play. I think the one to know uh, is Jake Garcia, who's out there in Los Angeles. You know, uh, I know Greg Biggins has talked about it I, I think on this podcast uh broke down that situation I mean the Trojans have two quarterbacks committed Jake Garcia and Miller Moss so Miami thinks maybe they're going to be able to kind of wedge their their way in there and I want to point out though you know I think Miami's kind of taken a reserved approach because who knows what's going to happen like they're not playing football out there in California and if you look at a guy like Jake Garcia you know he really hasn't played many games at the high school level. And that's so important for the development. Our colleague, Charles Power, wrote a story about it on, on 24-7 Sports. Um, so I, I think Miami, they're going to maybe kind of see if they could flip Jake Garcia, maybe kick the tires on some other guys. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they ultimately pass, save that scholarship um, for a skill player, and then maybe try to take a talented name out of the transfer portal. I mean, look, every year there's, there's someone new in there, like JT Daniels this past um, offseason. So I, I think a transfer is becoming more and more realistic, but I wouldn't rule out Jake Garcia just yet. Yeah. I think you're onto something there with the transfer portal, right? Like that's, that's a lifeline now that that's kind of like a thing that allows uh, staffs that maybe didn't have the, the sense of urgency or even the luck to get an early commitment. Like you mentioned quarterback recruiting, it's so accelerated that a lot of the top prospects are off the board, even before their, their junior season at some times. Right. And, and so it, it really affects the, the, uh, I guess the talent pool at the end of the day, when, when quarterback coaches or, or, or offensive coordinators or head coaches are out looking for their next guy, 
by the time they actually have enough evaluation and, and, and enough uh, information about the players that they like, some of them are already off the board. Uh, so if you're not going to, at some point you have to wonder, should I just take a quarterback just to take one or should I wait it out, really hone in maybe on the next class and then really focus on that transfer portal. So I think that's going to add a nice little wrinkle here as people and as coaches start to figure things out and, and how to maneuver the whole process. Uh, Jake Garcia has already mentioned he he doesn't plan to play his senior season since it's being pushed back to early 2021, and he's still in line to early enroll at USC. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting thing too, right? Like this is a player who who, like you said, has limited snaps, hasn't played much, uh, and and now is going to skip his senior season, which is huge in the development uh, for a quarterback. So that's also another, another little wrinkle there. That's, that's pretty interesting in, in his recruitment specifically. Uh, the next couple of questions come from JL Acevedo 24. It's over at the swamp, swamp 24, seven message board. He wants to know who are the offensive line targets that Florida is really in position to get. And it seems like running back targets are slim. Any new players being targeted? Well, let's start with the the offensive line. Um, last week, the Gators were able to flip uh, an in-state three-star center from the Seminoles and Jake Slaughter. So that gives them four offensive linemen that are, are currently committed. And it's to kind of my understanding that they like the group they have, but if they can upgrade, then they're going to try to do that. Um, one prospect we know that um, they've met virtually, you know, everyone's doing these virtual visits with, is uh, Lawrence Seymour. He's a, a four-star interior guy, could be a guard, could be a, uh, a center out of Miami Central, the powerhouse down here. Um, he's currently committed to Miami, uh, and, and while some of these other Miami commits have, you know, shut things down, uh, he he's still kind of keeping an open mind and, and communicating with some other schools. So. I think he's one that they're going to keep working. Another kid I know um, that they like is up in North Carolina, Diego Pounds, more of a tackle body. Um, and I, I'm sure some other guys will emerge as, as the season goes on. I mean, me and you in the recruiting industry, and we're all kind of talking about it in our in our group messages. Like We know waves of decommitments are coming um, at, at some point. So I think Seymour is someone to, to monitor. And uh, they, they got the numbers now. I think it's more of... Can they add one more or can they upgrade uh, maybe what they currently have committed? As for running back, I know they recently offered a kid that you've seen out there uh, in, in, in California at one of the camps, Brian Cardwell. Uh, I think he's a, he's a top 24-7 kid out, out of San Diego. You, you were telling me before we hit tape that you had seen him at, at one of the Under Armour camps, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's Byron Cardwell. He's from Morse High School in San Diego. And we saw him at the Under Armour Camp Series stop in Mission Viejo way back in February when camps were still going on. Uh, it seemed like three years yeah. ago at this point. But the thing that sticks out about him, and it's a player, uh, I guess a physical type that you don't see much in California at the running back position. You know, we see the the scat backs. We see the really uh, kind of the slim, uh, speedy, agile running backs. He's built more like a tank. He, he's more of the Ezekiel Elliott type. Um, Greg Biggins actually likened him to Melvin Gordon and just kind of his, his body type, his physicality. Uh, he, he's a between the tackles guy, uh, really physical. And I, I, I like his quickness. I, I got a chance to see him. It was a rainy day, uh, out in Mission Viejo that day. 
uh, like I said, about three years ago, it seems <laughs> like. But he he was able to really maneuver through the wet surface. It, it was it's a turf field there at Mission Viejo, but despite the rain, you could really see him being able to plant his outside foot and then kind of explode out of his stance. So I I really like him. I think. Um, with running back specifically, you, you want to see a, a certain level of production as a senior. So I'm really interested to see what he's able to do this, this coming year uh, on the field. You know, with a running back, you, you want them to average, what, over eight, eight, nine yards a carry at the high school level. That's when you know someone is elite. Uh, and then he's going to be playing some, some decent competition in San Diego. So if he's able to get around that mark where he's close to getting a first round every carry, uh, I think we're we're on to something there with with him being so highly regarded. Well, it's it's funny, Blair, that you mentioned him being like a physical runner because another running back we know that the Gators are keeping in contact with is, is Thad Franklin, who's right down the street from me at, at Hollywood Shamanad Madonna Prep. Another kid that's committed to Miami um, has said that he's not talking with any other schools but you never know what's going to happen if, if, if Manny Diaz and the Hurricanes go out and, and have an awful season which is certainly possible look at what happened in in 2019 he he to me is I, I thought you were describing that when you were talking about Byron like he's an old school type runner a, a bigger guy probably 6'1 220 pounds uh, always falling forward um, and I think maybe that's just what Florida's kind of looking for in, in in the SEC it seems like they'd like these um, bigger backs and are trying to get away from from the scat back. So it's interesting that you know you had that same. You were painting a picture, and I thought we were talking about that Franklin for a second. Yeah, th- and that's that's an interesting. Maybe this is a, uh, an entirely separate podcast that we can touch on. But I, I think specifically now with running back in the age of seven on seven, right in the age of develop developing quarterbacks and wide receivers and defensive backs and and and, and obviously how much it's valued at the NFL level the running back is is becoming extinct like the true true high school running back you, you don't really see many of uh and when we're going through some of the rankings and and rating certain players uh a lot of the times when we're talking about running backs it, it's you know it's wondering whether the player should be should be rated as a slot receiver or as an athlete or he should be on the defensive side i mean there's never really kind of a true uh, future pro running back that we see anymore. And I, I think Byron is one of those that definitely fits the mold. He, he's a player that is experienced at the position. Uh, that's what he wants to play. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. I know he's got a, a number of West Coast offers. Uh, I think Pac-12 schools like Cal, UCLA, USC, Washington are all in the mix for him as well. Um, so it, it should be interesting to see whether or not the virtual visit is enough to entice him to go out to to Florida and to some of these other schools eventually. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, Miami signed a, a kid out of San Diego last year that had never visited the school. Like, <laughs> uh, they found a way to do it, so I'm sure Florida can as well. Yeah. Well, man, Miami's close enough to San Diego, so I think that's a, that's a good <laughs> one. Obviously, Florida is, is as well. So um, that'll wrap up our three questions with Andrew. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much. Can't wait to have you on again. Yeah, thanks, Blake, for having me. All right, so that'll do it for our mailbag episode here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Remember, if you want to be a part of our next mailbag episode in a couple of weeks, leave a five-star Apple podcast review, 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. 